This is Rolling Rocks Radio with Jerry Armentrout, Cody Carter, and Scott Barker. Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we talk about mixed martial arts, jujitsu, and anything else we find entertaining. I'm Scott Barker. He's Jerry Armentrout. And tonight is the first episode of Rolling Rocks Radio International. We have a very special guest today. We have Tale Aldis all the way from New Zealand. She is a professional boxer, program manager, and all-around badass. So Tale, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so Jerry's done some research on you. I've done some research on you. You seem to be a very um, interesting individual. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? Tell us about Talay. Where were you born? You know, how did you come up? Um, what's your story? Um, so I'm... I've come from a, a background where when I was younger, um, when I was about four years old, my parents decided I was going to be the next um, Olympic swimmer. So I did swimming and water polo for about 16 years and did that at a um, national and international level, uh, both sports. Um, decided in my early 20s it wasn't really my thing. So I stopped altogether and focused on, I went to university. Um, I dropped out doing a fine arts course. Felt a little bit unsure of what to do with my life. Um, did a bit of travel, came back to New Zealand, focused on my career. Uh, in the meantime, managed to get very, very unfit, very, very unwell, um, both uh, mentally and, and physically. And when my dad was about 56, he signed up for a charity boxing event. And I remember just going down and watching him fight and watching everyone else fight and going, holy shit, I've never been exposed to this sort of sport before. It's so amazing. Like I just thought everyone who was fighting was so inspirational. And the charity event was targeted towards a mental health um, organization or charity in New Zealand so the next year I decided that I was going to sign up for it so I started training uh, about six months after I saw my dad fight and had my first fight about six months after that and just through the whole process of exercising again uh, losing weight for the first time in my entire life and kind of getting a routine that wasn't getting up, going to work, coming home, going to bed, finding a little bit more in my day other than the bare minimum. I really, really enjoyed it. So after I fought, I knew the moment I stepped out of the ring, I was going to do it again. I had no idea what that would look like. I just knew I just wanted to keep doing it. That feeling was just freaking awesome. So your your dad was your dad a like a professional boxer? Was he a, a, a amateur? What was his background in boxing? He didn't have much background in boxing. When I was growing up, he was really heavily into karate. So 
I remember going down and join, joining him for some karate when I was about eight or nine. Um, I think I graded to yellow belt or whatever the next next one up from white belt is. It didn't last very long. Um, but he's always been quite inspirational in my life anyway. He's um, been very heavily into swimming. So I kind of modeled myself off him when I was swimming. Yeah, he's always just been a bit of a um, inspiration in my life. I think without him even realizing that he actually is. It's funny how parents are like that. You you pick up inspirational things without them actually trying to inspire you to do them. Um, so what was it? I'm I'm interested in in this. Why did he go? Why did he take the uh, the charity event? Yeah, that's kind of curious. So I decided to fight that late in life oh my dad's always but he's always been a bit uh crazy i think he would still he would still have an, he's he must be 64 now i think um no he's 63 sorry he's exactly 30 years older than me um and i'm 33 so he he yeah, he's always been a little bit crazy he'd definitely have another boxing fight if he could um but there are restrictions around age in new zealand for that charity level um i i for him as well i think mental health is really important um we i think just as a as a as just with every single family in the whole entire world have instances um where we've been affected by mental health um, and the charity event that he signed up to do is really, really big in New Zealand. It's called the IT Heavy Hitters um, and it's, it's catered towards um, providing providing funding for, for critical services such as counselling in New Zealand for, for people who don't have access to it um, because of uh, poverty or, or location. Yeah, uh I think everywhere around the world has issues with mental health. Uh, America, we have a lot of problems, even though we have uh, insurance coverage and they're supposed to be able to get people uh, help when they need it. We, we still find a lot of people not getting any help at all, or they just give them pills and send them on their way. So that's, that's pretty cool that your dad is, was willing to put his health, I guess, a little bit on the line just to raise money to help other people. It is really cool. Yeah. It's a very, very cool thing. America's got a, we've got a really bad kind of dichotomy when it comes to mental health. Either we think that you can talk about it and that'll fix everything, or they give you so many pills that um, they can't talk about anything. So, you know, there's not a lot of integrated support here in America for the mental health challenges that, that seem to be ever present in modern society. Um, but, uh, you know, Jerry doesn't, you know, Jerry has absolutely no idea about what it's like to take a fight as an older guy. Do you, Jerry? Yeah, I took my first uh, amateur fight at 41 on one week's notice. Uh, I was learning boxing just for, like you talked about, health reasons to get healthy, lose some weight. And my coach on a Tuesday said, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Like, I don't know. She's like, you want to fight? So I ended up fighting a kid in his 20s. Going the distance, I lost my split decision, but uh, it's the most fun I ever had. That's amazing. I think um, 
it's like boxing is one of those sports and I'm, I'm only saying boxing so I don't have much reference for other sports but when you get to a to an age gap like being 40 versus being 20 there's it's so different um like when you're younger things hurt less you recover faster um I think you probably have a, a, a slight mental difference as well um that um kind of yolo yeah uh whereas when you get older you start realizing that your health is really important and being injured is is, is serious um not only for the, your sport but for everyday life as well i'm always very very aware that i'm i still work full-time as a, as a project manager and head injury can really impact my ability to earn money to pay my mortgage and live yeah i totally understand that we train three or four days a week with jujitsu we spar on sundays and yeah i have a 60 hour plus job at a uh, warehouse and as a supervisor manager and if i didn't have my job you know it'd be hard to pay my mortgage and support my family but again and i guess as we get older on in that fight uh my first fight ever, the guy was younger, he had more experience, he, did, he was a cage fighter. Uh, he was in there trying to work on a striking and he couldn't put me down even though I was older because I know how to, I can take a hit, I know how much I can push. And by then the fight, he was running from me because I was just lighting him up, I broke his ribs. Wow. So I ended up with a little mouse on my face and he had broken ribs. So all in all, I lost the decision, but I think I still won the fight. It's important, I think, that the fights you the fights you always learn most from are the ones that you lose, because you're, I think, more critical and more aware of your performance. Yeah. But be able to come out of any fight and go, I know that I did my best, or um, I've learned so much from that. I'm going to grow from this experience. Is really what fighting's about. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. Uh, fighting you know fighting grappling jujitsu you know any competitive sport like that especially like one-on-one competition you learn so much about yourself and from not just like the the i don't know the mental aspect but also the physical aspect right and you learn lessons that you take to your next bout and it kind of gives you something concrete to work on right there's it's um that's the the nice thing about kind of sport competitive sport in any way right if you win there's a lesson there you can look at you know hey what did i do to win if you lose you can look at you know why you lost and still you know have something to work on have a concrete goal have you know it's part of your process whereas you know I don't know, whatever, you know, other hobbies folks want to have, you know, there aren't as many lessons in them um, as there are, you know, kind of competitive sports and combat sports even more so, right? Because the, the, the consequences can be so dire, right? I mean, it can be head trauma, you can, you know, break an arm, you know, break a leg, something to that effect. So there's a, there's a lot of lessons to be had in, in combat sports. Absolutely. So your, um, your work is a program manager, um, correct? Yeah, so it's a, a New Zealander's project manager. Um, I work in the construction industry, so, so my role is, is client-facing, where we have a client that says we want to build 
XYZ. And we've got a budget of not enough and we make it happen. Um, so I'll liaise with both the client and, and the team on site. Um, yeah. Nice. I'm a, I'm a program manager for my company as well. So I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Um, in I, when I was doing my research on you, um, I came across your activity with drug free sport, New Zealand. Why don't you mm. tell us about that? Yeah. So drug, drug free sport, New Zealand is a, um, organization where we, it was basically the, the, the drug testing body of, of New Zealand for, for sports people. Um, so they're really, really cool and respect that they only hire athletes to do the education program. So we will go out to, to schools, to professional sports teams, to amateur sports teams and talk them through the drug testing process and, and some education around the drugs that are and are not allowed or the substances, I should say, sorry. Um, that are and aren't are not allowed in, in, in sport, um, which is quite different to what might be legal in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we so, have, uh, we're having that issue uh, with the ultimate UFC, because uh, in some states here in America, you can smoke marijuana, some states you can't. So they're having issues depending on where the fight is held, whether or not marijuana can be in the fighter's system or not. Hmm. Yeah, we, we have this discussion a lot, um, you know, because Virginia, the state that we live in, um, just legalized marijuana for recreational use. Um, and there's, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding around what that means, right? I mean, there's a certain segment of the population who thinks, hey, it's legal for recreational use. We can drive down the road, you know, smoking a joint. And it's like, no, it's still an intoxicant, guys. You know, it's it's like alcohol. You, you can't be drinking a 40 driving down the road. Um, and, you know, the, again, American colloquialisms, 40s are like these big 40 ounce you know, bottles of booze you can buy at the grocery store. Um, so yeah, we're having a challenge here in our state, educating everybody to understand exactly what legal means and, and the ramifications uh, of that around, uh, around marijuana use. Um, so how did, how did drug-free New Zealand, how did you get hooked up with them? Did they contact you? Did you contact them? How did, how did that relationship start? Oh, it was purely just a job advert, uh, just calling for for more or current athletes. Um, so, yeah, I just put my CV together. Um, yeah, uh, as simple as that, actually. Um, it's been really amazing, actually, because I get to meet so many different people across New Zealand who are full-time, usually full-time athletes. Uh, but just in sports that I've never had exposure to, like some of our some of our athlete uh, educators are. Um, there's one that we work with who is an ex um, Olympian weightlifter, um, and I just just think that's just such an incredible sport. And I've never never been around powerlifting or weightlifting before, and um, it's amazing to think that there are people out there that can get into these kinds of sports and go to the Olympics and have these amazing careers. Um, yeah. And then, and then we all end up together at drug free sport. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. cool. 
Yeah, that make, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of people want to take the shortcut of, uh, well, if I take this pill or I take this shot, I can get stronger, better, faster, recover faster. Uh, but it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't uh, make the playing field fair because you'll have one person who has access to all kinds of stuff and someone else who doesn't or doesn't believe in it. And then you'll have that um, unsettled reality where did the, uh, if they meet in a, especially like boxing uh, in the cage or something like that, it's like, you know, did the best person win or did the person with the best drugs win? Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting learning more about different substances and then PEDs and the, the biggest learning that I've had from it is just the huge amount of health consequences um, for, for a range of, of drugs that people could potentially have access to and, and decide to take. Um, and at the end of the day, really, I don't really want to shorten my lifespan by doing something stupid for, for two years um, or even just, just risking my career. Like, um, there's a there was a this this stories all, all around New Zealand about people who've taken uh, whatever performance enhancing drug, won titles or championships and medals, and then been found out five years later and lost everything. And you think we all work so hard, like just because you want to get a bit of an upper hand and doesn't it doesn't diminish how hard you might you might have to work and you're just wasting it all uh, all that all that time you've just wasted yeah we uh we pick on our uh, uh one of our best friends cody because he's a big john jones fan and we're always talking about john jones fact that you know every time he turn around he fails a drug test for something he's one of the greatest fighters probably uh our modern era scene and he can't get out of his own way. And uh, it's caught, and you can tell it's caused him to have some mental issues, uh, some uh, lapse in reasoning because he's made a lot of major mistakes and yeah. there's no way done that stuff if he was clean. So Cody, yeah. brother Cody, this was out to you, John Jones, cocaine and hookers. Yep. The diet, the diet of champions. Yep. So the, the other thing about um, the the drug free New Zealand, it also sounds like they do a lot of education when it comes. Do they? Well, let me ask: Do they also do education when it comes to supplementation? Because you you mentioned um, you know drugs that or substances that are you would think are legal but aren't, and vice versa. Um, you know, a lot of UFC guys and and even grappling guys, you know, they'll pop on a on a drug test, they'll fail a drug test, and then they'll say, "Oh, it was a tainted supplement." But on review, there's been a number of uh, suspensions that have been reversed because of tainted supplements, or they were using supplements that weren't um, certified as sports safe. Um, is that part of uh, of the education that's that's done um, with that organization as well? Yes, it's, it's part of the education is, is supplement use um, and both, both drug free and, and WADA, which is the um, worldwide anti-doping agency, um, have a have a stance where they don't endorse supplements. So there's, there's no supplement in the world that says this is safe to use in sport. Hmm. Um, the thing with supplements is it's, it's not a regulated industry. It's, it's not like food. So 
you can have a brand saying we're saying that xyz is in our supplement um but there there have been testing done where they've, they've found that there's actually abc in that supplement too and and dangerous levels of of abc and and um not only that but some of those are banned substances as well um it has a lot to do with i believe cross-contamination of the of product lines as well um mm -hmm. they might be making something over here and it's it's basically contaminating um over to where, where they're making the supplement but again because it's not not regulated like food it's not tested as as strongly as what food is yeah, yeah. if you go you go to your local uh like here we have walmarts and targets you go there and buy your supplements you're basically taking a gamble because the companies that produce the uh, mixtures that they use produce everything and they've been known not to clean the vat out between making it uh me and uh i use i do use some supplements but i buy mine from uh, uh two well-known companies here that are uh, uh, on it and jocko fuel because we kind of trust the guys that make it and they've gone out of their way. It costs a lot more, but they do go out of their way to make sure their stuff is made in house and it's good to go. I mean, we're not, we're not participating like you are and uh, uh, where we have to be drug tested, but we're still kind of careful about what we put in our bodies because uh, too much uh, of some of that stuff can cause heart problems and cause liver issues. And it's not safe. No, no. I mean, really, su supplements are just supplementing what you can get from food. So why not just try and get it from food? Mm. So this is interesting. So we've got, and the, the reason I asked about certified sports safe is um, we have uh, an organization here in America and it's in a, it's uh, NSF certified sport. And they're a, um, they're a program that certifies supplements that are quote unquote safe for sport. And they're recognized by USADA, which is the, the U S offshoot of WADA, but they're not recognized by WADA. I did not know that. So I just, I learned something today. Well, USADA is, as, uh, even though it's an offshoot of WADA, it still is its own organization and they have their own set of rules because WADA will allow some things that USADA don't. And I think WADA doesn't even let you have ibuprofen in your system. Yeah, I think because you're right. Consider ibuprofen uh, a PED. But yeah, there are different, different regulations for different sports um, from what I understand. So I, whenever I just I get medication, I just jump online um, through the drug-free sport website and just make sure that it's it's okay to take for boxing. Um, I know that uh, I think cycling has a different set of rules. Um, yeah, cycling so is that th that's one of the most doped sports in the world, from what yeah. I understand. Like they're the kings of doping. Yeah, when Lance Armstrong finally got caught, he told on everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um, I couldn't I couldn't imagine being in um, a sport or, or at least in a club where my coach was actively or even inactively 
um, encouraging me to take drugs. Um, it's just insane. I, I feel really, really sorry for, for everyone in cycling and, and, and lifting and all the gymnastics, um, all those sports who have a really, really bad history of doping. Um, look at those poor athletes. <laughs> so let's talk about so let's talk about boxing again so um you just mentioned your coach in your gym how did you find your coach and how did you select your gym and you know what was it like work, walking into the boxing gym for the first time um so i the first the first boxing gym i went to um was the one my dad was going to it was just a local boxing gym um I knew nothing about the sport at all uh when I first started so I just went down to to the gym that was signed up for this this charity um event and after that I got a I got a job offer um and it was it was based temporarily in a in a different city um so I moved to Auckland for just under a year. And when I, when I moved, the, the coach at this, the, my original gym said, go to um, Boxing Alley and there's a trainer there called Daniela. And again, I knew nothing about boxing. Daniela um, was Daniela Smith, who is... is a world champion boxer. Um, she was the first female world champion in New Zealand. And she retired maybe two years before I started boxing and she took up coaching. So I was so lucky to have got that recommendation to, to check out that gym and sign up for coaching with Daniela. So I worked with her very, very closely for, for about a year. And then um, it was time for me to move back to Wellington and when I moved back, uh, I had expanded my um, contacts um, a bit through boxing. And uh, there was a, a professional fighter um, who I'd gone in contact with when I was in Auckland because she came up to do some sparring prior to one of her fights. And she was really encouraging me to go down to their gym. And she said, look, just... just come down, I'll set, I'll set up a meeting with our coach. Um, I think you should, you should join our gym. And there was only two, two boxes at this gym. It's a, it's a Muay Thai gym. It's the gym that I currently go to. It's, it's called uh, MTI Wellington. And Had, had a meeting, had a meeting with the coach, went down for a, a couple of trial sessions, really loved it, really loved the atmosphere. Um, but again, one of only two, three boxes. Um, and the, the second only pure boxer at the gym. Um, so it was amazing that they took me on um, and wanted me to be part of their family. And it's taken, I think I've been, I've been with them for, uh, since 2016 so that's probably about five years and it's taken five years and my coach has slowly worn me down and I'm now training Muay Thai um, and I've been exclusive, exclusively focusing on Muay Thai for about 
um, six or seven months. Yeah. Yeah. We, nice. If anybody follows you on Instagram, they've, they've probably seen those uh, bruises on your legs. Uh, Scott and I started a uh, spar Muay Thai, and um, he walks around with a lot of bruises as well. <laughs> yeah. The, the I give as good as I get. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. I don't get bruises as much as you. Yeah, the first thing um, was we just did an hour and, hour and a half of leg kicks. Um, so it was just me me and one other person at that particular training session, and we just kicked each other's legs for an hour and a half. Um, oh, that's – yeah, that's – we uh, we started training. You know, I've done boxing for a while, but uh, Scott really never did striking, so we decided to start striking. And our friend Cody – uh, he was a cage fighter, and we have another friend, Chris, who fought in the cage, and both are pretty good at Muay Thai. Chris is amazing at Muay Thai, so they're they're training us, and then we would they would coach us through our sparring sessions, and it's it's pretty fun beating up your best friend. <laughs> it, it it actually is. Um, you know, if we treat our best if we treat our best friends this way, I'd hate to see what we would do to our enemies. So what okay so i got a couple so based on that i got a couple questions so what was the first thing that went through your head when your coach told you go to auckland and go to boxing alley because i've got this view of like you know like a like a, 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 a shady you know uh alley from thailand like warehouse district yeah and there's there's boxing gyms on on all sides and you know it, it just it looks really um, you know, I have this, this vision in my head of it being this, you know, like, you know, movie scene, right. Where they're going to go find the tie boxer in the, the back room of the bar. What was, what was going through your head when they said, uh, you know, you're heading to Auckland, go to boxing alley. Um, it's funny because, uh, boxing alley is, is, uh, a very upmarket upscale gym. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just—I mean, I—I I, I knew I knew nothing about the sport, and even even after you know having a fine and training for about six months or so, so um, I was just like, cool. It's probably going to be exactly the same kind of gym as what I currently go to. The training's probably going to be the same, um, and I—I I remember walking in for the first time and. I mean, everyone was lovely. I, I've had such such awesome experiences in boxing, but I um, got shown uh, to meet Daniela, and 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 I still had no idea who Daniela was. I hadn't done my research, and she goes, "And what do you want from me?" <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, "Um, uh, to coach." <laughs> um, but she was fantastic. She's she's such a such a cool and such an inspirational woman. Like I, I feel so grateful to have had that time to to be taught from her. Um, and I've had three different coaches um, in my time as a boxer, and that's not including the 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 training that I get in house at MTI. Um, but each each. I suppose head coach that, that I've learned from has such different styles and such different ways of coaching and such different ways of fighting. And I feel so lucky to have had that experience because I feel like I've taken, taken the bits that worked for me personally and helped mold that into my own style. 
Gotcha. My uh, my first head coach for boxing was was a female, was a woman, um, Lisa. She was a, a lifelong boxer. She was a contender, and she like you, she got into boxing at a as a young woman for weight loss, and she became a professional boxer. Was really good. Uh, fought on uh, the tough man circuit out here too for a while, which is uh, I'm not sure if they have anything similar over there, where it's basically it's brawls. They call it boxing, but it's just brawls. They put two amateurs in the ring and just let them go at it. And the winner gets money. But she was very, very good. And it was, uh, her way of coaching was so much different than several of the other men I've worked with. Uh, I seemed like I picked stuff up from her better and she had a different, uh, perspective, uh, that you have not to rely on power as much as being accurate in your footwork. So she made me better all around than just relying on, you know, that one heavy right cross to win the fight. Instead, it was, you know, work the body, move you around, take their breathing from them, and then win the fight. Yeah, it's, it's quite a sensible way, I think. Of, you know, uh, I've said before, boxing is like chess, but with your fists. Yeah. Because it is, it is so strategic. You can't just... A lot, I mean, a lot of boxing is, is you just get in there and you, you try and take the head off. Um, but real boxing is really applying technique and skill and thinking about where you're moving and taking the opportunity. So how much different is it now that you're transitioning to Muay Thai? Because there's, I mean there's a world of difference from boxing where you don't have to worry about knees, elbows, and uh, leg kicks. It's been really hard. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that there weren't lots of tears. Um, I'm quite a perfectionist. So learning a brand new sport has been really, really tough because I'm not perfect at it. Um, it's a different tempo, different stance. Like the way that I um, have my front foot positioned is different. Um, and then, yeah, you're not only focusing on someone's fists, but the, your legs as well. So you're learning how to check kicks, return with kicks, flow in kicks with your punches, um, and then just not rush it. Like it, it's really easy to be a fast fighter with um, punches. But when you put kicks into it, you need to make sure that your, your foot is in the right position and that you're um, the correct distance away from your opponent to get the correct shot. Um, it's been a huge, huge learning curve. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure, still not sure about it, um, but it is, it's, been a, it's been a good challenge. Do you put a lot of work in on the clinch and uh, elbows on the inside, or is that something that uh, is allowed in your uh, fight? Yeah, so our gym is um, very, very well known for clinch. So we, we work a lot, a lot in clinch. Even, even when I was boxing, I was learning how to clinch. Yeah, the, the world is starting to see a lot of really good Muay Thai fighters come out of New Zealand. There's a lot of them starting to compete in glory. I mean, not glory, uh, like Ryzen. There's a good many of them competing 
in the UFC now, Bellator, uh, and a lot of them are coming out of uh, uh, New Zealand area now with uh, a, a Thai style, but like a different focus on the way they uh, throw their kicks and the way they use the clinch and the elbows. So y'all, New Zealand is, is becoming world known for some high level Muay Thai fighters, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. We do have a very, very good gym in Auckland um, where most of the UFC fighters are, I think actually to be fair, all of the UFC fighters are training from now. Um, and it's a very, very strong gym. Um, it's so cool. It's so cool being able to see other New Zealanders on a world stage, um, especially in a sport that you're really passionate about. Like, we're such a small country. We're only, you know, just over 4 million people. Um, we have more than that in our state. That's, yeah. That's cool. So just, just seeing, seeing someone be so successful um, outside of New Zealand is, is just so, so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, city, it's city kickboxing, isn't it? Where all the guys are coming out yeah. of? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're huge UFC guys and uh, I'm looking for, I, I love some of the styles like Israel, uh, he's brought this amazing style out of there and uh, it's, it's really cool to watch how he moves and how he uses, uh, his, he, he takes his time and he moves so well. They, uh, he's almost like a video game, the way he can dance around other people. Yeah, he's got a very, very unique way of moving. Yeah. Didn't work out real well with Jan Blahovich, but, you know, that, that was a <laughs> jump, big jump in weight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. probably the, you know, besides Izzy, you know, probably one of the most famous uh, New Zealand fighters is Mark Hunt, right? I mean, he he came out of New Zealand. You know, he started at Oceana Super, Super Fighter Gym, and, you know, he grew up, uh, he grew up outside South Auckland, so um, that's probably for you know, UFC and mixed martial arts fans. That's probably the most famous um, New Zealander um, that everybody's uh, everybody's familiar with. You know, he's the king of the walk-offs. The, the dude was just amazing. Um, yeah. And his his entries in when he was fighting in Pride, his entries were were always amazing because he would have the um, he, he would have his, his team do the haka as he came out to the, to the ring. And, uh, you know, just, he was, he was a, he was a great fighter. Um, and probably, like I said, the one that, that U S fans are most familiar with from, from New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. Talking about Mark Hunt, it was cool watching him, uh, when he got, uh, his last, uh, belt, I think, uh, at his gym, they promoted him and, they all did the uh, haka form, including Jason Momoa, was there training with them, and uh, he trains Mark Hunt, which is kind of really cool that you got some, you know, a world famous actor now that's training in this this small gym and working with these guys that are like, you know, he's not working at some prestigious little a glamorous place. He's working it looks like a garage with a bunch of guys and an open wall, which was, which is shows you how great a gym that is, is that uh, someone like him will go there to train. Yeah, I think what makes a gym is, it's really not, not the space, it's, it's the people. 
you know, if you've yeah. got a if you've got a good coach and if you're training there and, and you're determined and you're disciplined, that's really what makes the great gym. A hundred percent. Yeah. Some of the best places that I've ever trained were like Jerry, you know, like Jerry said um, earlier, you know, industrial spaces, you know, old warehouses. I've, there's a place that I train up in um, Ohio when I go up there right outside Cleveland. And it's, it, it's literally the, uh, the Ohio jujitsu center um, and it's a warehouse district, right? It's the Ohio jujitsu center. On the other side is um, a place that services restaurant equipment. And on the other side is a wood storage facility. And that's where, that's where we train when, when I'm up in Ohio. Um, well, other, uh, when we went to do that seminar, we trained on a racquetball court. Yeah, that's true. It was an old racquetball court. That was the jujitsu gym was a racquetball court. Yep. That was, which was, which was pretty awesome. It, it was kind of like training in a fishbowl because it still had the, it still had the, the, the glass wall uh, of the old racquetball court. So it was kind of weird. It was like training in a fishbowl. I know what the, I know what the animals at a zoo feel like now. Yeah. So when so you what, go ahead, hey, Jerry. So uh, what's it like for you, uh, making your walkouts and knowing that people are there to watch you fight, to watch you not only uh, get hit, but to hit someone and possibly, you know, trying to get a knockout and a win. Uh, what's that like for you? Does the crowd help you get going or do you like tune them out and just do your thing? How does that work for you? Yeah, I, um, Crowds really irrelevant for me in fighting. Um, as I mentioned, like I'm a total perfectionist, so I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. So when I'm when I'm walking out for a fight, my poor coach is usually having to remind me of how hard I worked, <laughs> um, and and I'm kind of hyping myself up like I could not have trained any harder. I, I am I'm fitter, I'm stronger, I'm faster than I was um, any fight previous. And it's pretty nerve-wracking, I have to say. Like, I'm always very, very nervous on the walkout. But as soon as I get into the ring, everything goes. And I'm like, here I am. <laughs> it's too late to back out. But also, like, I've trained for this. Like, I'm ready for it. Like, whatever happens, happens. Because... That's for the last few weeks all I've been doing is pouring out my blood sweat and tears on the mats at the gym so what's your pre everybody's got a pre-fight pre-fight ritual what's your pre-fight ritual um mine is black coffee from a service station <laughs> you know what that's legit yeah I'm, I'm I'm down with black I'm drinking black coffee this morning to get up and get going uh, but yeah uh I remember uh the, my, like I said, my first fight, uh, I didn't even realize people were talking until I watched the video. And it's like, then you hear all these people cheering and, and saying stuff. And I didn't even pay much attention to the commentators. We had, they had a live commentator who was funny. I didn't pay any attention to any of that. Probably from uh, about 30 seconds in when the guy caught me with a, a uppercut and I realized we were actually going to fight, fight and not, you know, play patty cake. And it's like, I forgot everything else for quite a while. 
Mm. Yeah. It's like I tuned, tuned everything out except for my coach because I could hear her yelling at me, telling me to lean my head back to stop leaning in for shots, uh, to move more, and she was yelling all kinds of stuff at me. And uh, it was it was fun. Yeah, Lisa's, Lisa's got one of those voices that when she yells at you, you know she's yelling at you, and it doesn't matter how in the zone you are, you're gonna hear her. Yeah, our my uh, our my first boxing coach, uh, God love her, Lisa. She's like five five. Uh, she she tells you her, her age, and you don't believe it because she doesn't look a day over forty because she's she just ages what so well. Uh, but I remember when, when young men would come in there and want to train, they would uh, scoff at the idea of a female boxing instructor. They didn't want to work with her. And I watched her one night hit a guy uh, who was wearing a bodysuit because I was working with him on hooks. So he had one of the body protectors on. And uh, he was being kind of arrogant. And she hit him with a straight right hand and put him out of a window. He fell through a plate glass window into the parking lot. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> she used to punch me in my face if I'd miss a block. And I, I think I bled more from her than I ever did from anybody else. Because if I missed, missed that block, especially right before we started fighting, I, I would eat a punch to my nose, to my lip. I'd go home bruised up from her more than I ever did from anybody else. She was awesome. And she, she could change. She could go from smiling and being this awesome woman to being just vicious hair that I really didn't want to get hit by. It's um, interesting. I hear a lot of people say that female fights are often more exciting to watch than, than male fights from the point of view that um, females can be more technical and usually more aggressive. I, I yeah, that's that. This leads me up to one of my biggest questions for you. I have watched almost every kind of combat sport, men and women, and I've noticed something, and I've talked about it many times. And I'm going to ask you: with men, when we touch gloves, we normally there'll be a little feeling out. Almost unless there's animosity, there's almost like a minute or so of like jabs. Maybe, you know, it depends what fight it is. You're, they're not really going at it. Women, most of the time, y'all don't even touch gloves. Y'all just start swinging. It's like y'all, as soon as the bell goes and the, and the referee says, go, you guys are just getting after it. There's like no, there's no, y'all don't need the time to cut it on. It's like y'all are just ready to go. It's like you're, I think women are more vicious in nature when it comes down to it. It's like y'all can flip a switch quicker than I think most men can. Yeah, it's, um, I've never really thought about that, actually. But, yeah, thinking back to all of, all of my fights, um, yeah, you just straight, straight into it. Um, I think we're just better at getting down to business and not fucking around. That's, that's probably it, because you hear a lot of these guys talk about, oh, yeah, well, I needed to get hit that first time to, to wake up to realize I'm fighting. But like Amanda Nunes, uh, Valentina Shevanko, uh, you know, some of these high level uh, women's champions, um, you know, even Holly Holm, who went from being a boxing champion to the UFC, they, they're, as soon as they say go, they're on it. 
I mean, they're throwing strikes. They're moving in for the kill. I mean, especially Nunez. I, to be a mom and to be smiling and playing with your kid and then two minutes later you just put a girl out in 40 seconds, it's just – you know, maybe it's a maternal instinct y'all have that's different than ours, but it is – I will say that women's fights – especially now are so much more entertaining and probably uh, pound for pound. Uh, y'all probably have some of the best technical fighters coming up right now in any sport. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Even, you know, if you look at some of the new fighters coming out of Thailand, like um, uh, Jerry, who was the Bonnaby. Uh, who was on the last she was tiger movie tie she's on that oh, I know. yeah i know who you're talking about yes yeah, uh i can't remember her name but yeah you've got some some high level i mean just look at one championship they've got some high level muay thai fighters at one and they're all these young i mean you got they got a 16 year old fighter now at one championship and i mean there there's some a very, very legit. Uh, oh, well, Mackenzie Dern. I mean, she, she's laughing and smiling and, and playing with her kids, and then they say go, and she's trying to rip somebody's knee off. Hmm. Um, Grace Gundam. I mean, uh, and just uh, as a grappler. Uh, she's seven, 18 now, I think. She's just a jiu-jitsu grappler, but she is beyond vicious when it's time to go. That that fighter was Loma Lukabomi. I had to look it up, okay. but yeah, she's you know she's uh out of tie out of Tiger Muay Thai out of Phuket, and her last fight on the UFC was really exciting, really great fight. Looking forward to seeing what she does. Um, and then Jerry, did you see Grace uh, Gundrum's role with Jean Jacques Machado the other day? Yes, that he did. Uh, he used his size and and reach i think a little a little bit more with her but she she put up a good fight i mean to be rolling with someone that gave her coach his black belt yeah his, uh, and to actually hang in there for a little while was pretty cool yep so um Talay, you mentioned that when you went and met with daniella that you met with the coaches and they kind of decided you know that it, it, if you wanted to train at the gym what did that process look like? I mean, was it was it like an interview? Did you guys talk for a little bit? Did they put you in the ring to kind of see what your skills were? You know, was it a tryout? What did what did that look like? Um, so that was when I um, was coming back from training with Daniela and hmm. and um, looking to to fight with with MTI Wellington. Um, I mean, I'd already met them. I'd already met the head coach and and and, the, and one of the boxers in, in Auckland when she came up to spa. Um, so he knew me um, not well, obviously, but but enough because we'd we'd spend a couple of hours uh, together um, sparring. And I struck up a friendship quite quickly with 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 um, the boxer. Um, so she she was always in my ear and I think also in his ear a lot about hey Tyler's coming back to Wellington. Um, here's her number. 
catch up with her, have a chat. Um, and so I met, met with Mark over lunch and just had a chat about what I wanted to do with boxing um, really and, and then kind of learned a little bit about how he, um, I guess, runs the gym and what his expectations are of his fighters. And then I went in for, um, I think, a sparring night with, with his team and um, basically decided from there, yes, I did want to join. Um, and so I went in for a trial period, I think, of a couple of weeks to make sure it was a good fit for both of us. Um, and then they got stuck with a boxer. <laughs> so you said you were what, um, the second pure boxer that uh, was in that gym. Uh, so, but now you're, now you're starting to fight Muay Thai. So, or train Muay Thai. So is your fight coming up in, in the next couple months? Is that a boxing match or is that a Muay Thai match? Um, so my fight in July will be Muay Thai. Um, I'm looking at predominantly a Muay Thai fight year. So my last boxing match was in 2019 um shortly after my boxing match I well I had three fights I think I had three fights in 2019 and I think in my first fight I got concussed and didn't realize because I've, I've been concussed before and then had very very different symptoms um fought again um still concussed symptoms started getting worse and worse and worse and then ended up having my my third and final fight um at the end of 2019 and at that point was like definitely something's wrong with my body but i don't know what it is um because i was basically tired the whole time um i was basically having trouble adjusting my eyesight and after that fight it was definitely like something is not right and ended up having eye therapy for about nine months, learning how to use my eyes again properly. Um, it's not like I was, I was blind or um, was unable to, to do normal everyday things, but um, I'd completely lost my ability to, to change between long and short distances very easily. It would take me a few seconds to adjust between looking further, far away and then looking close um, at me. And um, I also had just completely lost my peripheral vision and had absolutely no idea. Um, so it was really, really scary um, just to think of that that was purely in regard to a head injury that um, presented very, very minor symptoms um, but had such a huge consequence. So I took most of 2020 out, like just fixing my body. Um, I had also been dealing with um, what I think is a torn muscle in my abdomen um, that I had a surgery for um, and ended up having, ended up having my appendix out. Um, so that kind of tied into the whole um, eye therapy timeout thing. Um, and then of course, COVID happened, which in New Zealand um, definitely was not as substantial as, as other areas of the world. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but I use that as an excuse as well to just take some more time off 
uh, so when I went back to, to training, um, back in oh, maybe October last year, um, I was, I, I gained probably about 15 kilos, which is just an insane amount of weight. And um, just trying to lose that, um, lose that weight in a, in a, in a healthy, controlled manner um, rather than starving myself for six weeks to make my normal fight weight. So the focus for this year has been the change, change to Muay Thai, um, get my body back in shape. And uh, July onwards will be a, a, probably a very heavy focused Muay Thai year. Um, I would like to have some boxing fights, but at this point, um, just the change to learning how to fight Muay Thai has been so great. I don't really want to mix it up. Um, although I know in future there will be opportunities for me to have a Muay Thai fight one week and then and then the next week have a boxing fight. Um, it's certainly been been done by other members of our gym who, who do it very, very well. So I'm hoping that I'll also... Um, I'll also be able to adjust. So what was yeah. COVID like for, um, for you in, in New Zealand? I don't want to talk a, a ton about that, but you know, it was, it was pretty crazy here in America. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what it's like for somebody, you know, elsewhere, especially on you know, somewhat of an isolated, you know, little Island like New Zealand. So what was it, what was it like there? What did you guys have to put up with for the last you know, year and a half with the, the, the stupid 19? Um, I think cause we are, we are an Island. That's probably what worked for us so well. Um, I'm back in, I think kind of early March last year. Um, we started getting, COVID cases. I can't remember really when that first COVID case was, but it, well, I don't think it was too much earlier than March. And I think we've got up to about a hundred cases in the country. And I remember thinking, I don't know how serious this, this thing is, but I'm slightly concerned because I'd been watching what Italy was doing with their lockdown and um, what China had done and thought, you know, there's some, some pretty, pretty massive powerhouses um, who are concerned about this thing. So um, we had about 100 cases and then the government went, right, in three days, we're locking down the entire country for four weeks or a minimum, I think, of four weeks. So we went into full, full lockdown where it was, um, yeah, we were basically isolated to our houses we were allowed out um, to exercise outside within I think a five kilometer radius of our home um, might have been smaller than that I'm not, I'm not too sure um, and I think all up once we were back to what felt like normal normal was about nine weeks um, and then Wellington has been fairly unaffected since then. Um, life has remained pretty much as per normal. But the only thing is in the construction industry is we're seeing delays of um, materials and, and increases in costs. Yeah, the commodities changes and the, the instability in the commodity market is absolutely insane. 
the stuff my the stuff my company makes relies a lot on metal and fabric and just metal prices are are just crazy we can't get quotes we have quotes that are good for 24 hours the 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 prices fluctuate so much our vendors who are usually giving us you know 30 day quote you know, quotes that are valid for 30 days or 60 days they're giving us quotes that are valid for two one or two days now and it's just it's crazy and we just came off of uh, our covid restriction in our state yesterday yep our we finally lifted our mask mandate social distancing everything ended yesterday that's how long it's been here and some states are still under restriction uh so i'm not you know it's awesome that new zealand lifted theirs but yeah uh america's still facing an uh, a lot of restrictions, a lot of gyms went out of business, a lot of boxing gyms, a lot of martial arts gyms went out of business. Um, we're, we for, what was it, Scott, like a year, all we did was uh, drills and we weren't supposed to touch each other yeah. for quite a while here. Yeah. It, it was pretty rough. Yeah, we were, the the gym was, our our gym was closed, 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 like not open, couldn't go closed for... Oh, heck, it was February, March, April, May, June, so like four or five months, and then when we came back, we we like weren't allowed within six feet of each other, couldn't touch, so we were doing a lot of like classes that were just calisthenics or drilling or, you know, sports-specific drills, sports-specific, sports-specific calisthenics, that sort of thing, Um and our kids' classes, the, the kids are still wearing masks in kids' class, um, wow. which is, if you've ever tried to do jujitsu or boxing in a mask, it is just miserable. I don't understand how these poor kids, uh, occasionally I'll, I'll help coach kids' class, and Jerry's helped coach kids' class occasionally. I can't imagine what it's like for those poor kids actually doing a class in a mask for 45 minutes. It's just, it's awful yeah 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 it would be very very tough um so interesting um, i'm sorry go ahead um just like international travel for example um masks are mandatory on planes yet children um don't have to wear them and the thinking is around um covid not affecting children um, as severely or even at all um, like adults it's, it's amazing that you've got the kids wearing masks and jujitsu although I, I can't I can't really comment because I'm I don't work in the health profession it's our it's our state mandate um, some states uh, opened up a while back and they had no issues uh, our school districts here still don't want kids to actually go back to school they've been learning online and they they're have a lot of issues uh, here in our home state uh, where different counties don't want to go back to live schooling. They want to continue teaching kids via internet, which isn't really good for, uh, for especially that many people at once because these kids aren't getting, a lot of these kids aren't getting the one-on-one they might need, uh, especially if they're struggling. And it's, it's becoming a, a they've made it political now. COVID, I don't know about, again, New Zealand, you know, y'all have a different uh, culture than we do. Our, 
our politicians made COVID political. It was very political. It's been very political. And it's we're, we're seeing the ramifications of that now with uh, different people finding out that, well, it probably didn't help. You probably didn't need to wear a mask uh, for that long. We've probably been better off not social distancing. We could probably get a herd immunity quicker. And so now we're just back to happy being back able to train full time. And uh, yeah, and actually, actually roll, actually spar, because that was, you know, that was a big thing not to be able to do. Because I mean, imagine you can't learn jujitsu without physical contact. You know, it, it's the same thing for boxing. It's the same thing for Muay Thai. You know, you can do all the drills you want. It, you, you can do all the drills in the world, but until you actually do it against a live resisting opponent, you know, it's just, it's not the same. Yeah. You can look awesome on a bag. It's just when that bag starts <laughs> punching back is, is the problem. When the, when the short Gimli dude throws a head kick, I mean, you know, kind of resets your, your thinking there, Scott, right? Yeah. I was not expecting that. I was impressed you could get your leg up that high. <laughs> little short. Yeah. We, we joke about, uh, I don't, you've probably seen Lord of the Rings. We've, uh, decided that, uh, our little trio is kind of like Gimli, Legolies, and Aragon. Yeah. And since I'm the shortest of the, of, of the group, I am definitely Gimli. I'm built like that. I'm built like a little dwarf. Yeah. So Jerry's, Jerry's the dwarf. I'm the elf and our buddy Cody is the handsome one. So he's Vigo Mortensen's character in, <laughs> in the movies. So, um, yeah, he's somewhere I, I, I gotta, yeah, I gotta do a better job on that Photoshop. I've got a Photoshop of, of Gimli and, and Legolas from the movie with uh, Jerry and my face Photoshopped on their bodies. It's pretty accurate and kind of funny. So let's talk about, so let's talk about something totally different. Let's talk about cats. So uh, our, our listeners can't, <laughs> our listeners can't see the screen, but you've got several felines roaming around on the couch with you. Are all of your cats Rexes? Um, actually all of my cats are Sphinx, but I've got one Sphinx who has a, a lot of hair. <laughs> She's not supposed to, but she has. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, did you purposefully get all Sphinxes? Do you have a thing for Sphinx cats? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I just thought they were quite different looking cats and, um, didn't, I, to be honest, I still don't know why I got a cat, to be honest, um, but decided decided one day that I was old enough um, <laughs> to get a cat and wanted something different and ended up getting um, in touch with a, a, a sphinx breeder who was, I just chose the closest one to, to my house, which was an hour and a half driveway, and she had a, a boy kitten who she hadn't sold um and so I went up to meet him and instantly fell in love and just went I can't I can't leave without this cat um and then it just kind of happened from there I decided he needed a friend and then um I um my husband and I bought our first home together and I went oh I just feel like another kitten and now we've got a house so it doesn't matter how many cats we've got and then I decided that kitten needed a friend. So I ended up with four cats. Um, and then unfortunately, my oldest, my boy, um, passed away um, last year. Um, 
So we've got three girls now. So we're just a house of females. <laughs> so your husband yeah. feels truly outnumbered? He is truly outnumbered. Um, I've also got four chickens. So um, they're all females uh, because we live in the suburbs. So he is well and truly outnumbered. That's awesome. Yeah, I have, I have dogs. We, I have, you know, my wife had cats for a while, and we lost uh, all three of our cats over a time period. And now we just have dogs. And I have one in particular that uh, she's she runs the house. She's in charge. It's funny how a little dog, you know, I have a hound that she's she tells us what to do. Yeah, I'm I've, I'm getting um, my husband a German Shepherd puppy for his birthday. <laughs> so. I think I'm about to get um, I'm about to have a lot less time on my hands than I currently have which is very little to, to begin with well yeah. that's going to blow your cat's minds too to have a German Shepherd puppy running around oh yeah yeah because those but things are all energy but it's good getting it as a puppy because uh, we got we had cats when we got our dogs as puppies and the cats especially uh, our female she quickly uh, laid down the rules of the house. And even though the dogs were so much bigger than she was, they listened to her. She would just, you know, they wouldn't get after her. They wouldn't chase her. They wouldn't mess with her. They knew who was in charge. So the German Shepherd, they're good, good dogs. So they'll probably learn pretty quickly to leave your cats alone. Yeah, it's supposed to be easily trainable as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we'll, we'll set it up. Um, to be a, a very obedient dog. Well, the good, like Jerry said, the good thing is you're getting that the dog early and the cats are already in the house. So it's not like the, the puppy's going to grow up with cats, right? Understanding what cats are rather mm -hmm. than the cat coming in later and the dog being like, mommy and daddy brought me a new toy, you know? Yeah, that's so true. So yeah, our, uh, we have four, we have four cats and, uh, you know, we've had multiple cats throughout the year or throughout my wife and I's marriage. And uh, we went, you know, we we lost one of our our older cats um, about two years ago. And my wife said, well, it's time to, you know, let, let, let's go get another kitten. I was like, OK, so we go to uh, a shelter that's about two hours away because we wanted to you know, find a shelter, shelter kittens. Right. Rather than go buy one. America's got a big problem with, um, you know, animals that don't have homes that are taken in by shelters to to take care of them so we rather than go to a pet store and buy a kitten we wanted to get a shelter cat so we go and she's online and she picks out the kitten and she's like oh yeah i want to you know i think we want to get this one I'm like all right so we go to meet the kitten and well the kitten had a brother <laughs> so we're we're looking at the two and we're like, yeah, we're going to take this one. And, you know, we pick him up and, you know, we go to the front and we're getting ready to do a thing. And my wife just, she looks up at me and I look down at her, go get the other one. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't just take the one since we knew that, that he had a brother. So we ended up intending to get one cat. We came home with two. Um, that's just kind of how it works. So they, uh, they are currently little two-year-old terrors that are running around aggravating um, our two older cats. My, my oldest is 14 years old, and the other one, it, uh, Jameson's, I think about 
eight or nine now. So they're both getting terrorized by our two kittens. Wow. Well, it's, it's good that you've got two that are similar age though. Um, imagine if you only had one uh, that was a, that was two years old, focusing even more on your older ones. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So tell us about the fight that you've got coming up in July. You said it's going to be Muay Thai. Do you know who your opponent is? No idea. Okay. Um, I, all I know is the weight I'm fighting it. Um, as far as my opponent goes, I don't even, I don't even care. Um, I often, I'm not too worried about who my opponents are. Um, because uh, I've, I've tried studying opponents in the past and I'll go into a match and they won't be anything like I thought they were going to be by watching videos or tra training, um, training videos or fight videos. So I've just kind of just taken the approach of it is what it's going to be in there. Um, it's up to me to, to have the tools in my toolbox to react to what I'm given in that fight. That's that's awesome. Yeah, we. I remember um, they offered, when they asked me to fight the first real fight. Uh, I was supposed to fight a guy closer to my age, and he backed out. So they put me in the ring with this young kid, literally in the locker room. The promoter was like, "Uh, you can fight him." It's like, okay, my wife. God love her, who didn't even want to watch, who didn't even want to go watch me fight because she was afraid I'd get hurt. Uh, she was like, you're going to fight a kid? I was like, he's, he's in his 20s? She's like, yeah, he's younger than you. And she's like, you know, this is going to be bad and end up being fun. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I was prepared to fight a guy my age. So I was like, yeah, he probably won't move as well. You know, I won't have to worry about speed. And you get in there, and so you're thinking that, and then you get in there with some kid who's just so fast and dynamic. Mm. It it was it was uh, I've probably been better off not even thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day as well, every every opponent that you have is always going to have different strengths, but they're going to have different weaknesses as well. Um, there was one girl that I fought. Um, who was so lightning fast, like, holy shit. I just remember her um, coming towards me and I was like, oh my gosh, she's, she's here and then she's there and then she's here again. It's just, it was really overwhelming. Um, and I came out of that first round like, okay, I've probably lost that round. Um, but I'm just going to have to deal with it by making sure that I'm, utilizing my jab more to stop her coming in so she's not here and there and everywhere as quickly and I ended up wearing her down um just through straight punches um and uh, you know had she been a slow slower opponent um straight punches may not have been not have been the way to go for that fight um but it's yeah it's all about it's all about I guess tools in your toolbox is what my coach says um and preparing for every occasion and that fight camp yeah our, co our coach uses a toolbox theory too he talks about how the size of our toolbox is compared to his toolbox compared to beginners toolboxes and that we need to utilize what we have and to expand our toolboxes 
Yeah, we hear that a lot right before he chokes us out. It's great. <laughs> Just one of those things we have, uh, we are fortunate enough at our gym to have uh, multiple coaches and they all have a different style, especially in jujitsu. Uh, they all come from a different style of background. And then we have uh, visitors who come up and train with us. So me and Scott and our other, and our other teammates are lucky because we get, we learn from a self-defense guy. Uh, we learn from someone who's more fluid. We uh, learn from someone who's big and strong. Uh, we have a, a black belt that comes visit us who's five, six, and might weigh 130 pounds if he's carrying his toolbox, but he can destroy the bigger guys. And is like you said, that, that you have to be able to pull stuff out of your toolbox depending on who you're fighting mm. uh, and, and the way you do stuff. Because the way I do jujitsu is different than the way Scott does it. Uh, we both been trained about the same length of time. Uh, and we have the same coaches, but yet we have a total different approach the way we do things. And I, like I said, it's, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, to be able to talk to you and get your perspective. And I'm hoping you'll come back after your fight and talk to us. Cause that's going to be awesome to see how you, how you feel after your first real live uh, Muay Thai fight. Mm. That's going to be cool. And we'll definitely get the time schedule figured out. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> It won't well, be so bad this time. So, so what time is it there? Is it like 1.30 in the morning? It's 10 to 1. Oh, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, you, again, like I've said before, you are definitely a savage. You might not think so, but the training you put in, your training regimen, getting up early training, going and having a hard uh, job like you do where you have to deal with customers and vendors and you're trying to get stuff dealt with and you probably have a lot of government regulations you have to maintain uh and then go train again and you're preparing for fighting and you said you have a you know you have a husband and you have cats and you have a life and you're you're, you're definitely a savage to be able to handle all that and and keep focused on what you want yeah it's um i think i think schedules and, and routine is is probably the key um like discipline is discipline is hard um but once you have that routine discipline becomes really really easy because you, you know you wake up at five and that's that's when you wake up and you go to the gym and then you go to work and then you go to the gym and you come home um and then that's just that's just your life and and yeah, I'm so lucky to have a husband because there are some mornings that I'm like, I, I didn't have time this morning to, um, you know, look after the chickens. Can you please, can you please, you know, make sure they've got clean food and water? Um, because sometimes I'm not always organized because I am human. <laughs> um, but I think that the, the more, the more structured you are in your daily life, the easier it becomes to be disciplined. Um, yeah, we, we follow a guy named Jocker Wilnick and one of his biggest books he wrote is called uh, Discipline Equals Freedom. And he yeah. talks all the time about just the discipline that motivation will get you up once or twice, but discipline gets you up every day. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, and I, I think, I think 
as well like you have you, I definitely have a lot of hard trainings like every every training session I have is is, is hard um, I'm always pushing myself outside my comfort zone um, and I don't really know what the answer is in, in regard to why I keep going back but I think it's just the um, personal satisfaction and, and um, empowerment that I get through pushing myself really really hard and, and not dying um, <laughs> it makes me go okay well it's not going to kill me so therefore it's not impossible um yeah but I mean I'm so used to getting up early now my my body just wakes me up early even when I'm supposed to be sleeping in so it truly truly is just an embedded routine at this point yeah, my wife, she doesn't understand how I can wake up before my alarm goes off and I wake up ready to go. She always talks about she has to wake up and drink two, three cups of coffee and try to wake up. And I just, I pop out of bed ready to go, ready mm. to even. And there's days I'll go run uh, before I go to work if the weather's good. Uh, or I'll just do yoga, calisthenics here, you know, swing a kettlebell, then go to work and then go to the gym. Yeah, it's 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 weird there's uh there's probably a minute fraction of the population that enjoys getting punched in the face and keeps going back to do it i mean we we've definitely got to be just a small segment of the population that thinks that's fun yeah it definitely took me a while to get used to getting punched in the face um i remember the first maybe in the first two years of sparring um there would be times that i would cry um either during or after sparring, um, I think because it's just so confrontational. Um, but now, like, I'll accidentally get punched in the face and I won't even flinch. Like, it just is what it is at this point. Um, yeah. You just get so conditioned to it. Yeah, I think it's it's a mental thing. I mean, you, if you have self-discipline, you can overcome a lot. I mean, I learned discipline early from my stepfather was a Marine. I then joined the Marine Corps. And then, you know, so I've had lapses in discipline throughout my time and, you know, drank a lot more than I should and ate bad food. But uh, getting with Scott and Cody and our guy, you know, our coaches at the gym, I've refound my discipline. And it's like, I can't live any other way. I don't understand how, because uh, I work in, you know, facility where I have a lot of uh, younger employees guys right out of high school, guys out of college, and they work eight hours a day, go home, play video games, and that's their life. Mm. And me, I'm, you know, I'll be 45 soon, and I'm up, I work 12 hours a day, I work out before I go to work, and then I go to the gym three or four, you know, we'll go to the gym two, three hours a night and get after it. And it's just like, how, how can you live that life where you're just sitting on a, in front of a TV playing video game? You need to oh, do more with that. Yeah, that's, um, that was definitely my life between stopping swimming and starting boxing. And just mentally, um, I had nothing. Like, there was just no excitement in my life other than um, probably just socialization, which I'm quite an introverted person anyway. So, uh, probably wasn't even that healthy you know just drinking and eating out and um yeah I was in a really really bad mental spot 
all because like I truly just didn't have anything in my life other than being at work or being at home doing nothing. It's it's not a very healthy existence. No, no, and I um another one of our podcast guests, Joe Lombardo, who does the uh, the Scholars and Iron podcast. He and I were talking about that uh, the other day about just the. It seems like more and more people in this in this day and age have some sort of anxiety disorder or something to that effect. And, and, you know, the, I've seen some hypothesis that a lot of it, that some of that has to do with the fact that we have so much available leisure time. Um, you know, we go to work, but after work, right. Even, even our work, right. You know, we're sitting in front of a computer, pushing buttons, talking on the phone. Um, we have so much leisure time. Um, food's really easy to get a hold of these days for most people. You know, obviously there's uh, there are exceptions to that rule, but in general, food's pretty easy to get a hold of for the the modern person. Um, we have a lot of leisure time um, that uh, that that some of the uh, anxiety disorders that we're seeing, especially you know, younger and younger kids, is because we have so much free time that our brain doesn't know what to do with all that downtime. So it starts inventing things for us to worry about. Um, whereas, you know, people I find who are people who have very full lives, who have a lot, who do a lot, right. Who have a lot of hobbies. They, they, you know, they, they work, they work out, they have a sport, they have kids or cats or whatever, right. Who have, uh, a lot of things to get done are less likely to have these anxiety and stress disorders because their brain is being occupied by the discipline to continue you know, with what they're doing. If that makes any kind of sense. Um, it, I just, I found it interesting that um, people who have a lot to do generally have less issues with stress or anxiety disorders. Yeah, I get part of that argument can be formed in terms of routine as well. Um, the, the busier the busier you are, the more structured you need to be, right? Right. And I think I think humans do really well under a routine environment rather than the sporadic lifestyle. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, think about our you know our ancestors, right? I mean, they were. It was it was kind of a. Well, it wasn't a less formal, but it was a more natural cycle, right? They had to get up with the sun and go, you know, hunt the woolly mammoth or, you know, plow the fields and milk the cows. And right. They, there were certain things driven by the diurnal cycle throughout the day. Right. And then when they you know, the sun went down, they were done with work and they came home and had dinner. And then, you know, maybe they had like an hour or two of, of chill time to look at the fireplace or listen to the radio or, you know, whatever the, the entertainment of that particular era was. And they went to sleep and they got up and they did it again the next day. Right. I mean, these days it's, you, know, you come home, you get done with, you know, if you don't have a routine or you don't have discipline, right. You come home and you look at your, your partner and it's like, well, what are we going to do this evening? I don't know. Let's go take over the world. Right. I mean, that it, it's like, there there's so many options that your brain almost can't handle it right yeah and i think as well um 
to really succeed at something, you need to be doing it regularly. Um, and if you're not if you're not doing something regularly, if you're not working on something regularly, you're not getting better at anything. You're not succeeding at anything. Um, so you don't get that personal satisfaction of, um, you know, being being a master um, at whatever, whether that's cross stitch or boxing. Um, you can you can sit on the couch for for years and go, oh, I wish I'd done this, or I wish I'd done that. Um, but actually doing it is where you get the satisfaction. And for me, like when I think about um, where my life is now versus where it was seven, eight years ago, um, I, I'm really pleased with what I've achieved and I'm glad I haven't just sat on the couch for the last eight years and, and gone, oh, I, I wish I'd done this. I've, I've, actually, I've actually got up and I've done it. Um, I think my problem, my mental health wouldn't be quite as um, robust now um, if I hadn't have done that. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, does your husband train? Does he uh, do Muay Thai, boxing, any martial arts, or does he just support you? Um, so he is a trainer um, at another gym um, for boxing. I met him through uh, well, the first gym that I was at. Um, that's where I met him. Um, he had a boxing fight, but tore his bicep. Um, and so we mutually agreed that he wasn't going to do that anymore because he was probably going to get injured again. Yeah. My, when, yeah, my, my vision of how I do stuff is I'll uh, ask for forgiveness instead of permission because my wife gets frustrated because I have uh, metal in my abdomen holding things together and my left wrist is surgically fused, uh, missing some of the bones from uh, my military service. And she thinks I'm crazy when I want to go out here and punch people or get punched because she's like, all your stuff's held together with, you know, metal in a, in a prayer and you're going out here willingly sacrificing. So a lot of mine is, hey, babe, uh, I, I've decided to do this this weekend. Are you, you, know, are you down? Just one second. I've got a cat um, trying to dig into something. Okay. Sorry. No worries. We're very familiar with that. Um, yeah. Um, Surprised you haven't heard mine digging at my office door the last few minutes. So, <laughs> so you met your husband through boxing. So you were already training in boxing when you met your husband. How long have you guys been married? Um, three years this year. Nice, very good. That's yeah. awesome. So he's not he's going to train. He's a trainer, but he's not going to box anymore because you guys are worried about him getting injured. Is your neck, is your Muay Thai fight, are you guys going to be in pads or is it going to be um, just gloves? What, what's what's the uh, pro protocol? Uh, ju just gloves. Um, so novice fighters will fight in 16-ounce gloves and, and pads. Um, I'm, I'm too experienced, so mine would just be um, what they call mod Thai, which will be um, Muay Thai without the elbows. Okay. Okay. 
So you still get your clinch work in, you just can't use elbows in the in the plum. Can you yeah. use the knees? Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It makes me feel a bit better then. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. Um, 16 ounce gloves. What do you guys? Uh, ice ounce. Ooh, okay. That's going to be fun. Eight ounce gloves are, yeah, there's almost nothing there, really. I mean, yeah. I wore 16 and 18. Uh, depends on which uh, amateur uh, fight they'll either have. Uh, at my, my weight, I was either in 16 or 18. But I do have a set of uh, six ounce um, uh, grappling gloves, and they're almost there's no padding there. It's almost like it's you're just padding your knuckles so you can hit harder. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny the less padding you have, how much faster your punches feel. Yeah, it's like watching those. Uh, are, have you watched any of the bare knuckle bare knuckle fighting championships that they've now started here in America? Yeah. Some other, yeah. Those, it's amazing how quick those guys land land their shots, and those and the women too. We they just announced that uh, uh, Paige Van Zant is going to fight Rachel Ostevich in July. So they fought in the UFC, and it was uh, pushed as being the two hottest women in the UFC fighting. And now they're going to go beat each other up with bare knuckle. That's that's totally going to be. Uh, they're going to sell a lot of pay per views because guys are going to want to watch them fight just because of who it is but i'm more curious because Paige uh proved that she can take a hit when she fought um britain hart even though she lost her debut i was more impressed with her hand speed it was so much quicker than it ever was in the ufc and uh, some of these big guys watching them throw those jabs and how quickly they can get them out there i guess goes to the fact that there's no weight on their hands but they all say they don't hit as hard because you can they can break their hands easier. Mm. Yeah, it's a bare knuckle boxing is a different level of crazy. Um, I yeah, I have to commend anyone that's brave enough to do it. Actually, I just I think it's insane. It go yeah, it goes back to the old school uh, uh, boxing here and. Well, starting in England and Europe and then over here where they would just basically either bare knuckle or they'd fight with uh, basically they weigh out about an ounce or two gloves. And that's that was what you, and they would fight. Well, I think one of the record fights was 108 rounds in America. They, these guys just fought forever before they finally stopped it and called it a draw. Different, different class of fighter back then. Yeah, I think I think I've seen that photo actually, and the, the both of the guys just look absolutely stuffed. Yeah, um, hundred eight rounds. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Said so like, you know, you fight three, four, whatever rounds um, in boxing, and it's you're shattered at the end of it. Let alone no gloves and 108 rounds you'd well, sleep it, week. It, it's like the first couple of ufcs right where some of the mad you know there were no time limits some of the matches went 30 or 40 minutes i mean we've done we've done some some rounds at the gym that you know are 
about that long. I can't imagine doing like an actual competitive UFC fight that runs 40 minutes. I mean, that that's gotta be just absolutely brutal. And to have somebody to have somebody like you say bare knuckle box is crazy. That just gives it the legit stamp of craziness because it's like, if the normal person goes, Oh, that's crazy. Well, they say that about us. Right. But to have you say bare knuckle boxing is crazy. That means it's really nuts. <laughs> yeah. That's not something that I think I'd ever um, wish forward in my career. Yeah. Uh, I remember we see they teach hand-to-hand combat in the Marine Corps and everything they taught us was just headshots. They put us in this thing called the pit, which is barely big enough to two guys to stand in face to face. And you're only allowed to hit each other in the face. And that's it. You weren't allowed no body shots. And they would just say go and you would just try to hurt each other. And so I got my uh, taste of uh, getting hit early on and been in love with it since. But again, it's, uh, I guess it's like you said, discipline and an attitude of, well, I ain't dead yet. So let's continue to see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see, Talay, it is 10 after one and in, in New Zealand. Um, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. We want to be, uh, cognizant of your time and be respectful and make sure you get some sleep. Cause I'm sure you got an early morning in the morning. Um, is there anything that you would like the, uh, the rolling rocks family to know, like, uh, when's your next fight? Where can we see it? If, uh, there's any, you know, if you want to give it out, where can our listeners find you on the social medias and, and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah, so my next, my next fight is July 24th um, in, in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, it will be videoed and, and with all my fights, it'll be posted on YouTube um, within a couple of weeks after the fight. Um, my Instagram is Montmartre, which is M-O-N-T-M-A-R. T-Y-R um, or just Google Tale Aldis um, yeah that's me so before we go I, I need you to I need you to explain your Instagram handle so where does Montmartre come from um, I am a massive francophile and I think when I first made my Instagram many 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 years ago I was like, oh, I want it to want it to be something like Montmartre uh, in Paris. It's one of my favorite spots in the world. And of course that was taken. And I was a bit of a goth kid and I just thought Marta sounded quite goth. <laughs> and Montmartre is, is uh, like the hill of martyrs. Um, and that's what it loosely translates to. So it's... Um, it's just a bit of a mix of both. And I've never really changed it. It just it just is what it is. I dig it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll keep it. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else for the for the team um to lay before we sign out for the evening? Um, no, just thank you very, very much for having me. It was um really, really awesome to have a chat. Um it was our it was it's actually our honor. We really truly appreciate it, especially since we screwed up the time and you're staying up super late just to talk to us and we will definitely get this out there and we will we want you back on our podcast again um if you after your fight i mean so and we will definitely work out a better time frame so 
thank you yeah. so much. Ayla, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. You have a good morning. <laughs> yeah, have a good morning. Get some sleep. We'll talk to you here soon. Uh, we really appreciate having you on tonight. So um, for Talay Aldis, for Jerry Armitrout, I'm Scott Barker. You've been listening to Rolling Rocks Radio. Thank you very much. Until next time, we're out. Later. The music for tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Mayeth from their album Wailing Village.